Hey, thanks, Donna. Well, good morning to uh, everyone right here in the room. Great uh, to see your faces, albeit in the midst of some masks. And to those that are watching online this morning, hey, welcome. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, uh, we want to welcome you to uh, our faith community. And we look forward to seeing you in person in this place because there's no better place than being together with God's people. Does anybody remember that, uh, that uh, notion of overseas travel? few laughs, people. Yeah, it's becoming more of a distant memory, isn't it, in terms of what was that? Was something we used to do somewhere along the line that we don't do anymore? Well, it'll come back to us at some point in time, and we'll kind of re-pick that one up. But, you know, one of the well-touted reasons for traveling overseas is that, A, we go and visit family. And many of us in this room have got family in different parts of the globe. Uh, you might even be watching online today, or we go to catch up with some friends, or it's just the whole experience of engaging in a new culture. Uh, and, you know, we read about these things, we, we, we watch things like getaway, and we think, oh, one day I actually want to get away to that place and to enjoy all of that. And one of the amazing things that happens that when we find ourselves in a new cultures that we come up against all kinds of traditions and customs that maybe we have never experienced before. You know, if you were to turn up or you were to be a long, live long enough in somewhere like Denmark and uh, you were young and you were not yet married by the age of 25, you could be assured that at some point throughout the day that somebody would ambush you and shower you with cinnamon. I'm serious. That's kind of a, it's a Danish custom. Now, you think that's weird? Well, you don't want to be single when you turn 30 because they'll do it with pepper. <laughs> or uh, there's a, another little town in a place called Spain, which encourages the best ever. Like this kind of takes the cake in terms of food cafeteria fights. Like you're, if you're a part of that town, it doesn't matter what age you are, young or old, you're encouraged on this uh, certain day of the year to pick up a tomato and to engage in the biggest tomato fight that you've ever been a part of. Can you imagine coming into this room and uh, we handed out tomatoes and we said, all right, go for it. And there was tomatoes going in all directions. I actually think I want to be a part of that someday. In fact, uh, when the borders open up, I'm going to go to that location. I want to be a part of the biggest food fight, tomato fight that has ever happened. Or uh, the, our good friends in the United States of America, I can slag off and make some fun of them because my wife's American and my, one of my sons is over there. But you know what? On the February 2nd each year uh, in Philadelphia, everybody gathers to watch the groundhog as he comes out of his burrow to tell them whether it's going to be a short or a long winter. Maybe uh, I was looking for a groundhog when I came to work early this morning thinking, you know what, wow, I'm hoping that winter's only just a few more weeks away. But anyhow, I think we're kind of in the midst of it for a little bit longer yet. You know what, we all have our traditions and customs. You know, go to any country, Australia, we have our own as well too. Uh, but even families have their own traditions and customs. You might be able to think of some right now that your family does. You know, in the Lovell family, have all kinds of things that we do at Christmas time. Uh, you know, uh, we have this thing around our Christmas tree. But after we've had lunch, one of the things that the kids all look forward to doing, well, they're grown up now, so the grandchildren will look more and more forward to this. But there is always the hunt that goes on for baby Jesus. Baby Jesus gets hidden somewhere in the house and the kids know that if they find baby Jesus, there is some kind of monetary award for the person who finds baby Jesus. So uh, they'll turn everything over. They go hunting for baby Jesus. Now, why do we do this? I have no idea why we do this. 
you know what? I married Julie, very first Christmas. We've got kids. She says, we've got to hunt for baby Jesus. I'm like, why are we hunting for baby Jesus? I know where he is. He's, 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 he's alive. She says, no, no, this is what we do. This is what my family did. And this is what we're going to do as well too. So we hunt for baby Jesus. Now, you'd be thinking it's pretty good. If there's money attached to that, you'd be hunting for baby Jesus as well too. You know what? We all have them. We have traditions and customs that we do. And some of them are just fun and frivolous. Others of them uh, kind of, uh, well, they actually have some meetings attached to them, and that's why we do it. You know, we celebrate the Queen's birthday here in Australia. But funny enough, we don't celebrate it on her actual birthday. We, we still celebrate. It's a tradition that we do. In the U.S., it's Thanksgiving. There are traditions that have some great meanings attached to them. But yet, there are also some other traditions that, if we were to be honest, that we look at them, we think, what in the world? You know what? Either it's lost its meaning or it just kind of seems to kind of go against what really is probably most significant. You know, you read through the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you very quickly find that Jesus kept coming up against uh, a certain group of people who were very strong about uh, uh, holding up their man-made or their aged, you know, long-aged traditions that, they, uh, that were a part of the Jewish customs. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've got a Bible today, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament, uh, we, we find this unfolding story. We've been working our way through this narrative, through the Gospel of Mark, as we've kind of followed the life of King Jesus. And where we find ourselves today in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, we find Jesus in a dialogue with some Pharisees and the scribes of the law where for them, they had elevated their age-old traditions above the truth of God's words. And as we read that today, uh, such an appropriate narrative or story for us to engage with, because for those of us that are in this room, or if you're watching online this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, I think one of the greatest challenges for us is that we make sure that we, we flip it the other way. We're actually holding up the authority of God's words. And any uh, traditions that maybe we have are subservient to that. Now, as, as we kind of go in there this morning, we're going to read some of this in just a moment. We've got to remember where this is kind of couched. Uh, you know, like last week uh, at our Eagle Hawk campus, Pastor Dave Gascoigne spoke about Jesus walking on water, and uh, AJ spoke here morning and night, and it was a great word, you know, just reminding us of, of Christ's power over nature. You know, but just prior to that, uh, Jesus had worked the miraculous where he'd made something out of nothing. He had taken just a, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, and he had fed a multitude of people. And so as we come to this part in the narrative, in the story, we find uh, that people are coming from everywhere. I mean, Jesus is a rock star. He is a superstar. They're coming out. They want to be with him. They want to hear him. They want to touch him. They want him to, to, to take care of their needs. And he was so incredibly popular. Well, amongst most people, not so much the Pharisees. See, this is the second time that now they've brought a contingent of people out to Jesus and they come asking a question. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, he picks it up, he records it this way and says that as the, as the Pharisees came out, they said to him, how come your disciples don't follow our age-old tradition of washing their hands before they eat? 
Now, maybe some of us in this room, you've kind of found yourself with that question. You know, it's, uh, it's late on a Saturday afternoon and you remember whether, you know, you're older now and you remember or you're young here in this room and you remember, you remember mum yelling out and saying, hey, it's dinner, come on. And you go bolting into the room, you're launched to the table, you are ready to eat. Mum says, have you washed your hands? And you're like, oh gosh, you know, I just want to eat. Well, can you imagine? Think about this. Here are these religious leaders and this is the best question they've got for Jesus. You know, why is it that your disciples, they sit here and they don't wash their hands before they eat? I would hope that I would have a much better question if I was in that same situation. You know, I'd hope to think that maybe the question I'd be asking would be something like, Jesus, where do you get uh, such power to perform all of these miracles? Or, uh, you know, where does your authority come from? Well, you've been talking also about the kingdom of, of, of heaven is drawing near. What do you mean about that? Or even more so, you, you say to us that uh, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But So are you saying to us that you are this long-awaited Messiah that we have been waiting for? I would hope that's the question I would that I'd actually ask, but that's not what these religious leaders are asking. They're all hung up on the fact that his disciples have sat down to eat and they haven't washed their hands. What was driving all of this? We have to understand and remember that the Pharisees and the, uh, the scribes, the, the, uh, they were well known for taking the Mosaic law, which was God's word, it was his truth, contained in the first five books, uh, you get this Mosaic law that's, that's highlighted there. And, and what they would do is that they would read that and they would then make their own oral traditions. They'd make their own, if you could call it, maybe their own rules and regulations. And, and so they would say, well, look, this is what God's word says, but as we read it, here's all the other things that we should be doing as well. And basically, they were making their own uh, traditions and rules and customs that they were saying that now anybody who was a good Jew would have to uh, also follow. What they were neglecting was they were holding up their traditions over the truth of God's word. And so if you were to wander into a good Jewish home during that period of time, uh, you would notice a, a number of different things. Uh, in terms of what they would require. Uh, and in this situation, what they had just done is that they were saying, well, if, you know, as a Jew, uh, when you sit down to eat, you know, we engage in this age-old tradition where we wash our hands. Well, the question in this instance wasn't so much about hygiene. For them, it was about purity. And it came out of Exodus chapter 30, where there was this mosaic. It was a biblical mandate for any priest that was to go into the temple. There were certain rituals around them uh, purifying themselves, making sure that uh, they were not hygienically clean, but there was a sense of a spiritual cleansing. And it was kind of modeled in a, in a, in a uh, in kind of a physical way. And so uh, if you were to wander into a Jewish home as a result of what these Pharisees and the scribes of the law had done is that uh, you might find these 
big stone pots of water. They'd be filled with water. And part of the practice would be as you sat down, you would take some of that water, just a small amount, you would scoop it out, and you would allow it to kind of dribble down over your fingers and across your, wrist, uh, your, your palms to your wrist. Then you would take one fist and you'd put it in that and you would do that. And then you'd do the other one to the same hand as well too. And then you'd take a little bit more water and you'd allow it to kind of run back down off your wrists across your fingers. And you had, at that point, ticked the box uh, around this place of washing your hands. This is what the Pharisees were talking about when they said, well, Jesus, your disciples, they sit down and they don't practice our age-old traditions. What did Jesus say to them at this point? Well, it's really quite remarkable. You know, uh, realizing what was going on uh, and that the fact that they were outraged by the fact that here is this upstart, this young, well, he was a 30-year-old Jewish man from the town of Nazareth, uh, the son of a carpenter who's kind of a bit of a rock star that is misleading kind of people in their eyes all over the place and, and subverting their, their uh, smooth-running holy community. And so what does Jesus say to them? He says this in verse 6 and 8. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah, and he's talking about the prophet from the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. But you ignore God's law and you subscribe to your own traditions. Now, this charge of hypocrisy, it might actually catch us a little bit here today thinking, oh gosh, that's a, that's a pretty harsh thing to say about your own people or about somebody else. But you have to remember what Jesus, uh, what was going on in this setting. You see, these religious leaders weren't turning up because they actually had a fair question. They were trying to entrap Jesus. They were trying to shame him publicly. You see, he's just crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's walked on water, crossed to the other side. He's turned up. People have come from everywhere. People are reaching out. They are touching his, his clothes and they're being healed. Uh, he is continuing to work miracles. And the religious leaders turn up in a, in a crowd of people and they pose the question, endeavoring to shame him publicly. Uh, how, why were they trying to do that? Well, they realized that if uh, they could kind of highlight the fact that his disciples were disobeying their oral law, their traditions, it would have a way of humiliating Jesus. It would be a little bit like saying, well, Jesus, really, obviously you haven't taught your people very well if they're actually doing this. It'd be like here this morning, uh, me standing here in this, on, on this stage, kind of sharing from God's word and suddenly somebody jumping up in this place. And saying, hang on, pastor, coming from another tradition somewhere else, maybe another church somewhere else, and saying, hey, this is all good and well, like what you're doing here, but, uh, you know, I was just watching as you were praying a moment ago, and, and there were people all around the room who didn't bow their heads or shut their eyes. And in fact, I even see some people here in this room this morning that have got a beanie on or, or they're wearing a hat here. And we know that that's dishonoring to uh, the traditions of our Christian faith that have, we've held strong for many years. And what are they trying to say in that moment? Well, really what they're saying is, you're obviously not a very good pastor because if you'd done your job properly, you would have helped people to understand that there are certain things that we do and we don't do when we gather together. Uh, it's just part of our tradition. 
Well, Jesus realizes what's going on. He, he knows this is so much more than just some washing of some hands. And he calls them out. He calls them hypocrites. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In fact, he goes on even a bit further to kind of pull out a case in point to say, you know what, well, hang on, if you think you're going to shame me, and you're not even kind of sharing something that's truthful here, but you know what, why don't I actually point the finger back at you and maybe illustrate, let me cite something from your own traditions that you talk about that just acknowledges how far you are from God. In in verses uh, 10 through 13, he says this, says, Moses gave you this law from God. So he's looking back to the Old Testament, back into, you know, if you're thinking about the, the Ten Commandments, much of what has shaped our, our own uh, Australian culture today, built on, uh, on, on, on the, uh, the Judeo-Christian values. And what's Jesus doing? He picks up on one of these Ten Commandments and he says, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother, they must be put to death. That was what the Mosaic law said. But then he says, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I actually can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I could have given to you. And in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents and you so counsel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. You see, that would be, that statement is a bit like saying to uh, an accountant. Now, if you're an accountant here in this room this morning, or if you're watching online, don't take offense to this. I'm not saying this is what you do. But that would be a little bit like uh, an accountant here in, uh, uh, in Bendigo or in our Australian culture saying, well, I know what the Australian taxation law says, what we should and what we shouldn't give. Uh, but I've kind of studied the law, and I realize there are a few loopholes or there's a few gray areas in the way in which maybe we can deal with this matter. And so that why don't we just kind of do this, and we'll kind of fudge it over here a little bit. And as a result of that, you won't need uh, to pay any taxes uh, as a result of this. Well, this is really what these religious leaders were doing. They were taking what God's law said, the Mosaic law, to honor your father and your mother, and they were then saying, well, okay, if uh, uh, you have this amount of money over here, or this is what you uh, own over here, if you were to say that, well, this is God's, and it's not mine, this is really God's over here, so on that basis, it's already dedicated to God, so consequently, uh, I am not going to use that to care for my father or my mother. I am not going to care for them in their time of need. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, you know what? You are twisting God's words for your own uh, improper game. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And realizing they were just so hung up on things like washing your hands, Jesus then went on to kind of push a bit deeper into this. And this is what he says. Getting the attention of the crowd, uh, he says, now all of you, listen. And I want you to understand, try and understand. He says, it is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled from what comes out of your hearts. And he lets it just drop. Doesn't go on to explain it. He just simply says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your hearts. 
you know, a few hours later, he's, he's with his disciples and they, were, they hadn't quite grasped it. And so Jesus begins to kind of unpack that a little bit more with them, helping them to understand his teaching. And he said to them, uh, we are defiled. What he was saying is we are defiled from the inside out, not from the outside in. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't outside things that can defile us. I, I think in our culture today, one of the greatest examples of that is the whole issue of pornography. You know, you spend enough time looking at stuff that's inappropriate and uh, that's going to impact, uh, you know, your eyes are the gateway to your heart. And so you start spending time in that and that's going to defile your heart. That's going to mess around with your heart. It's going to screw up your life and quite possibly the lives of those that are around you because of what you're allowing to uh, kind of enter into your life. But, but remember, Jesus is talking not about pornography. He's actually talking about uh, the, the religious leaders and, their, uh, and them being so hung up on dirt on their hands and, and, and purity. And, and so he goes on to say in this context that, that this dirt might be on your hands, but as it passes into your body, it just goes into your stomach and then it is expelled. This dirt's not going to defile you. What defiles a person, says Jesus, is what's inside of the heart. It's what comes out of our heart that actually shows uh, that our hearts are unclean. And as Jesus always does, to, to help people understand what he was talking about, he then takes it one step further with these, these 12, these disciples that are with him, to help them understand what a, what a heart that is unclean might look like. He says in verses 21 and 23, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus said all these vile things come from within. They are what defile. Now, I don't know what the disciples were thinking about in that moment. We're not really told. But I wonder what we might be thinking about today. You see, we live in a world that uh, likes to think about, you know, uh, we kind of know when things are not right and wrong. And uh, you, might have, uh, you might have even heard someone around you talking about the things that they don't like about themselves and they're wanting to pass that off and make it about somebody else. And it's... it's they, they're the ones that are contributing factors to who you are. Now, I'm not, here to say, I'm not here today to say that we don't have, we aren't shaped by those things that are around us. Uh, family of origin is huge. And yes, we are a product of the things that have happened. But, but Jesus doesn't let people stay there. You see, he actually says quite clearly in this sense that, uh, you see, it's not what is outside that ends up defiling us. We, he is saying that we are inherently evil inside. It's something that's inside of all of us, inside of our hearts. And that is what makes it dirty. And, and no amount of water, whether it just be a small cup or a large cup, no little cup of water is ever going, uh, whether it's poured uh, across our lives, it's never going to cleanse us uh, in any way from this kind of impurity. And as Jesus wraps up, what's so interesting is that he never actually then tells the disciples 
what the proposed cure was for the disease that he's just diagnosed. We're left to infer that. In fact, if you've been reading the story from the beginning to this point, Mark is building this case to say that, you know, washing your hands is not going to help you. See, the only cure for uh, the, the struggle of the human heart is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one that's offering a cure for the problems of humanity, for the problem of our own human hearts. And that's the story that's unfolding. Mark is saying that Jesus didn't come just to modify external behavior. Uh, anybody ever watched the show? Uh, uh, oh, well, actually, I'm not sure what it's called now. It's, it's around about changing people's uh, appearance. Um, if you know what it is, just yell it out. I can't think of what it is right now. But, you know, it's around, you know, you look like this, but then they spend hours kind of doing a whole makeover. They change your teeth. They do some plastic surgery. And suddenly you look a completely different person. You see, Jesus didn't come to change our external looks or our behavior. He came to change what's inside. And he promised that he was going to give us his spirit that would live inside of us, that would help affect and to bring about that change Jesus is concerned about giving us a spiritual makeover. And that's the story that's unfolding in this narrative and through the gospel of Mark, that Jesus is the solution for the problem of the human hearts. The Pharisees missed it. Those that were most religious, they should have known the answer to this. And yet they were most concerned about whether they'd washed their hands once or twice, and that's what was driving them. You know, as you think about this story, we actually have to make the application to make uh, the rubber hit the road. You see, as we think about this story, I, I, I think there's a, a couple of applications for those of us in this room, and if you're watching online today as well too, for us to think about. And as I thought about it this week, I thought there's really a couple of driving questions for me that I am thinking about as I'm kind of, well, what's this passage mean and how do I apply it into my own life? And I want to share maybe just these two questions with you today as we wrestle with this, as we think about the story, uh, because we don't want to just go and forget about it. You know, here's the two questions. The first one is this. You know, as Jesus talked about these people honoring God with their lips, but their hearts being far from him, maybe the question is as simple as this, is would God be happy with your heart and my heart today? See, I can't answer that question for you. I can only do a bit of uh, inward looking in my own heart to ask that question. Would God be happy with my heart? You see, it's very easy for us to read this story and to think about the religious leaders and to kind of roll our eyes a little bit and think, they're a bunch of whackers, weren't they? And to realize that, you know what, in some senses, we can respond in just a very similar way. We can be all about external appearances and forget that our hearts can be far from Him. That's what we can do. I'll give you an example. You know, um, we, we can get very good at turning up in this place and ticking a box. People think, well, oh, shit, they're very good. They kind of come to, to a weekend service on a regular basis. Or, you know what, they kind of carry a Bible as well to all. Oh, you know, and yet, you know what, we could turn up regularly here and dare I say that God could still say, but their heart is far from me. 
or they could carry a Bible and know kind of where to find the gospel of Mark. And they've been doing it for years, but God could still save us. Ah, oh, yeah, but their heart is still far from me. Or, uh, you know, uh, they're involved in all kinds of different activities that happen in the life of the church. They even kind of give money or they, they uh, care for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. And yet their heart is still far from me. They've got all these traditions that they hold up, that they honor. And, you know, uh, they, they kind of, these traditions speak of the way in which they do things. But yet their heart is still far from me. You see, I, I, I know that because I can be just like that as well, too. And in the end, God doesn't care about what rules or what traditions or what customs we might hold up. What God truly wants from us is that He wants our hearts. He truly, that's what He wants. He wants our hearts. You know, what would God say about your heart today? You see, attendance, just turning up, doesn't in any sense mean that your heart is right. Here's the second question. You see, as I think about this story, the question that I also wrestle with is, well, have we ever allowed God or have we ever allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to change our hearts? Over the years, I have met many, many great people. In fact, many good people that have kind of turned up and maybe come to one of our weekend services and they've sat here and they've been a part of this place and they've loved the community here and they've been turning up because I know, as I've known some of these people, that they they, they know that something is not quite right and they, they, they want to see change and transformation come to their lives. So they think, well, if I just turn up, if I be a part of that community, that well, that'll be a good thing and that will kind of help me as well too. What's well, a good decision to make, and, and certainly hanging out with good people is going to help that. But, you know, I've so often I've watched some of these people then begin to drift off because ultimately in the end, all they were trying to do in their own strength was to change their external behavior. They know that something's not quite right, and so they're wrestling with that, and so they turn up hoping that by their own efforts they might be able to do something. But in our own strength, we can't do it. See, the Word of God says that our hearts uh, are incredibly wicked. And we can't bring about that change. There's only one person that can bring about that, and that is God's Son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to faith in Jesus, when He gets our heart, when we give our heart to Him, we are told that we are made into a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and we begin this now journey where Jesus continues to keep changing and growing and and helping us to grow towards spiritual maturity in Him. He changes our lives. The very things that we want to happen and change in our life, He does. We cannot do it. He does it for us, and His Spirit continues to do it. And maybe, just maybe for some of us here today, or maybe you're watching online as well too, and when you think about that question, have you ever yielded or given your heart to Jesus? And you say, well, no, maybe I haven't done that. See, what's your response to those questions this morning? You see, for some of us, maybe it's the realization today afresh, because this can happen so quickly and so easily. That for some of us, we already know Christ, but over the last weeks and months, our heart has begun to drift. And so we find ourselves today in a place that 
for all kinds of reasons, uh, we have allowed other things to become the priority instead of prioritizing a deepening relationship with God. Can I just say to you today, if that is you, God doesn't care about the reason or the excuse. He doesn't. Only mankind cares about that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we're the ones that often say, well, well, why did you do that? Tell me, you know, uh, give me a list of reasons why you kind of responded that way. God doesn't kind of respond that way to us. You know, he doesn't worry about how imperfect we are. Uh, He doesn't wait till we've kind of got our lives all cleaned up. Uh, He just wants us to prioritize making sure that he is in that priority position. And so maybe for some of us today and those watching online, it's... uh, it, it's, a, it's a recommitment, it's a reprioritization of, of what's most important. Or maybe, just maybe, there are some of you here as well, that you're hearing this story and you're realizing that you have never given your heart to Jesus. You've never kind of stepped into that place. Maybe you don't know how to do that. You love who Jesus is and and you want uh, Jesus to transform your life, but you've never stepped into that space. You know, it's as simple as acknowledging today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, that He is the the solution. He is the, the cure for the problems of the human heart. And that we can't solve that ourselves, only he can do that. He came, God incarnate, as a child and gave up his life. He died on a cross for the sin of this world, for all of humanity. And today, by simply acknowledging that and saying, today, Jesus, I invite you to make uh, my heart, I want my heart to become your home. And I invite you to transform my life, uh, ask you to forgive me my sin and to transform my life. You know, that's the beginning of that journey of him giving, you giving him your heart. You know, I wonder what decision maybe you need to make today in response to God's word. You know, as our team comes back onto the platform, we continue to keep worshiping together this morning. You know, I can't, you know, one of the things that I love about the way in which Jesus responds to us is that he doesn't wait until we've cleaned up our lives or that we feel like we are good enough. He takes us as we are. But here's one other thing I don't know. That as he takes us as we are, he doesn't leave us as we are. He carries us on that journey together of growing us up and helping us to become uh, the kind of men and women that he has shaped and created us to be. It becomes obvious in the end, externally, because when somebody is a follower of Jesus and their life is being transformed by him and they're growing towards spiritual maturity, you can see it on the outsides. And you can see the difference because something has happened on the inside that now is being seen on the outsides. Try and do it the other way around and you just live a very frustrated life as a human being thinking, you know what, I'm doing all that I can to try and clean up my life or to do the right thing and I just can't do it. You allow Jesus to transform you and change you from the inside out and it just becomes obvious. You know, this morning, here and online, we have a fresh opportunity to say, this is my desire. Lord, I give you my heart whether that's just a recommitment or whether that's giving it to him for the very first time. Can I invite you to stand with me? We're going to sing together. We're going to continue to keep doing that. But I'm going to pray over us this morning because I realize that in here in this room and online right now, the Spirit of God is moving in our midst.
And this is a sacred time. Father, uh, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the way in which I know your spirit will be at work in the hearts of people. And God, I thank you that Jesus reminds us over and over again that he is the cure for the problems of the human heart. Father, we don't want to play. We, 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 save us from ourselves. Save us from just turning up and ticking boxes and thinking we're kind of doing all the right things. And yet we know that your son Jesus condemned that as hypocrisy. Hey, we don't want to be hypocrites, Father. Help us to be a man and women, young and old, who deeply love you and want to follow your son, Jesus. Want our lives to be transformed and we want to demonstrate what it looks like to love God, to love people and to be on mission and to help other people to discover who Jesus Christ is for themselves as well. Father, thank you that you take us as imperfect as we are. But you don't leave us there. And maybe for someone this morning, Lord, maybe for the very first time, they realize they need to yield their heart to Christ. God, give them courage, I pray, right now as we sing together in Jesus' name.